Support the show by donating at themusicbuds.com. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number 11, and my name is Henry. This week, I am so thrilled to be joined by composer Michael Dana, the Oscar, Golden Globe, and Emmy-winning composer behind a number of projects, including Life of Pi, Moneyball, 500 Days of Summer, Pixar's Onward and The Good Dinosaur, Girl Interrupted. I mean, just the list goes on and on. Michael, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk. It's great to meet you. Pleasure to be here. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Kicking things off, how are things for you right now? Just how's, how's life? Life's good. It's funny. I've been working really solidly for a long, long time and have a little breather right now for, for reasons we all know. It's kind of nice. I'm going through boxes that I literally have not opened in 10 years. I never <laughs> finished unpacking when I moved into the, the new studio. Uh, in fact, I think some of these things might have been in boxes for two moves through two studios. It's really fun. I'm finding old analog tapes. I've been digging those out. I just bought an analog two track so that I can actually play them and hear them. And oh, nice. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, it's kind of fun. I'm setting up my studio, going a bit back to analog stuff, getting a patch bay built and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I used to be very analog based, of course, back in the day 20 years ago. And then mm just uh, shifted all over to digital with everyone else. And a lot of the analog stuff got left by the wayside. So it's really fun to be able to access it again easily here. So I'm, I'm definitely having fun right now. And I just finished or am just finishing a really great film, a Tom McCarthy film, Ooh. who is he's just a really smart and wonderful filmmaker and somebody that I've loved his films for decades. And so I was really happy when he asked me to work on this film, which is called Stillwater hmm. with uh, Matt Damon. And they finished shooting before the everything shut down and they kind of just delivered me the film as everything ground to a halt. So it was it was good in that I was able to write kind of on my own and just send stuff back and forth to Tom. And we wrote the score that way kind of over the summer and just recorded it at Abbey Road a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. Yeah, remote session. He was sitting in New York. He, uh, he of course, can't leave New York because if he comes to California where things are not so good, uh, he would have had to quarantine when he went back. So he sat in New York. I sat here. The players sat in London. The session went really well. Have to say, I think as we're all discovering, a lot of this, a lot of the remote ways of working are actually pretty good and pretty viable. And yeah, it, it worked really well. He was able to hear and see everything, and so was I. And yeah, we had a great session. So, not sure when the film is going to come out again for obvious reasons. He's a real uh, a guy who believes in theater screenings and people yeah. sitting in seats. So we're probably going to wait until next year. But yeah, so we're sort of in a bit of hiatus right now. Hence, I'm unpacking uh, boxes. Right. 
the first thing I, I really wanted to talk to you about is how did you get started? Because I remember you having mentioned in the past about film composing not necessarily being the thing you set out to do. That's very true. I kind of fell into it by accident. And when I, I grew up, I kind of was not, film was not really the thing that I was interested in. I was uh, music all day and all night, classical upbringing, pop music, played in bands, produced bands and church choirs and piano teaching. I played church organ. So I had a kind of pretty varied, but very Western music upbringing. And then what kind of a major thing that happened to me was the real change in, you know, I grew up in Toronto. So the real change in the Canadian demographic that happened, you know, as young in the 60s and 70s, the government in Canada formed this multicultural program and, and a policy of bringing lots of people from lots of different countries and, and just making the country work as a multicultural country, not one just based on the Northern European original settlers that were the original people that moved people. And so there was this real influx of all kinds of different people. And it became so when I grew up, it was kind of a very homogenous society. And then in my early teens and so on, it really kind of exploded into this whole new world. And it was very exciting musically to hear all this music from all over the world that I'd never been exposed to. And it was a really positive thing. It wasn't, I mean, that's the nice thing about how that multiculturalism worked there. And I think still continues to work in Canada, which is this yeah, it's a really positive thing. People enjoy the, the best from each other's cultures. And so, yeah, being able to hear South Asian music and Far Eastern music and African music and all of this played and performed by people who had just come to Canada. And so it became something that really affected my path. And in college, I, I studied ethnomusicology and as well as early music and all kinds of things. And I took all those influences into into what I was doing. And what I really yeah. ended, what I ended up doing was theater work. I started doing music for theater. Again, I had no Toronto, especially then there was not really a filmmaking community yet. Film just seemed like something that people did far, far away from where we were in Hollywood, which seemed like right. you know, another planet. It was something that it didn't really cross my mind as a possible career path, but theater was everywhere in, in college. And so I started working with theater groups doing music and sound effects. And of course, when they're paying you nothing, which is what you get paid theater, you're kind of, it gives you license to do whatever you want and just bring in the whatever um, players of whatever instruments and combine, you know, African drums and strings, just started doing what I'm still doing today, which is just have a really open mind to a big palette, a big world palette, and a, and a time palette too, being able to instruments from the past. And that's what I was doing, doing that kind of work in theater. And then one of the guys who was bouncing around in the same circle as, as I was, decided to make a film, asked me if I wanted to do the music. And so we just carried on kind of what we were doing in theater and, and moved it into film, something 
anti-Hollywood, just completely had nothing to do with American filmmaking. Right. Uh, it was kind of the beginning of, of a bloom in Canadian art filmmaking, and I was just swept up into that. And so that's how I fell. That's how I fell into it, really. Well, well as you're just saying, you, you've really pioneered this blending of what is traditionally Western and non-Western styles into your music. And what I love about it is that you are able to do it so seamlessly and so naturally that you aren't, as you're listening to it, you aren't thinking about that identification. It just feels rich and like it should go together already. Well, that's, that's a really nice thing to hear. Yeah, I've worked hard, really hard at that. Often when people combine west and east or music from different cultures they do it in a kind of slapdash way and they just use it as a kind of superficial marker of you know someone from somewhere else or or certainly that's how it began but i i guess i i took it very seriously and having and seeing the deeper levels to it and because I i love the music so much i i enjoyed studying it and really learning about where the music came from. So in Armenia, where did that music come from? What kind of music is it? Is it, is it you know, in, in Armenia, there's church music, there's court music, there's folk music. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did the instruments come from? What's their history? What's their meaning to the Armenian people? When you play this instrument, what's the connotations? How is it used? What are the scales? All that, I studied that really carefully and thoroughly so that I was reasonably comfortable and literate in that particular kind of music. And, and so, yeah, it's, a, it's I guess, an, a more educated approach to combining these instruments. But yeah, there's a lot of adventures when you do it. The first for the Ice Storm, which is the first time I used Gamelon and a string orchestra, I had no idea... It, whether they would blend, I had a theory that they would, <laughs> but you know, they have different tuning and that we, how are those two notes going to vibrate against each other? So there was definitely a, a lot of learning and a, and a lot of adventure and, and a lot of things that didn't work, but that's what was fun. And the magic happened, you know, sometimes when you weren't expecting it to, or through accidents and yeah, just through exploration and but in a respectful and educated way and just really respecting the musicians too and not dragging them over to me, but going at least part way to them and what, what it is, how they play, why they play it and understanding that as well as getting them to play like that. And that's how you get the magic and the best results. Yeah. I, I feel like that would just keep things so exciting and interesting and fresh because you never really know what you're going to find. Yeah. There's a lot of just bizarre things that happen that way. And in music, there's just so many, the magic really happens when there are these strange clashes and Mm -hmm. strange paradoxes and perpendicular lines of music that surprise you. And it's just being kind of a, setting up the system so that you will get those moments and being able to recognize them and go with them and follow a path and being very flexible in that way. uh, Talking about some of your projects specifically, I mean, we could talk for a while about so many of them. One I wanted to really touch on is Moneyball, 
immediately when I saw that, that music struck me because it's such a captivating, celebratory feeling. Your style, it immerses you into that mental uneasiness of Brad Pitt's character because he's having these almost like stings on his skin by all these different players and these different managers that he's having to go about dealing with. Your music has that delicate fluctuation of how he's feeling. And I, I just I just love it so much. You know, it, it is. And believe me, I've been doing this for many decades. And I still don't really. I mean, that's what's fun about it. And that's why I keep doing it, because it really is mysterious. But step one is to understand the story and the character. Film music is film music. It's all about the story. It's all about mm -hmm. the film. Every answer to every question is in the story. What note do I start on? What's the next note? What's the note after that? What instrument is playing the note? What's the speed? All of those questions can be answered by the story and by the characters. And yeah, you, I mean, you're exactly right. So Billy Bean is a centered person, and yet there's this tension and there's this kind of back and forth. There is a musical answer to that. There's a musical code that can say that. And believe me, if composers knew, you know, the answer to how do you make that feeling without all the pain and trial and error, uh, we'd be a lot happier. But the alternating da 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 that right away you feel both those things. You feel the centeredness of it and the inner belief, but also <laughs> there, there's this tension to it and there's also uncertainty to it. Yeah. And, exactly. and you have to do so you also have to do that in a way that's the simplest and most elegant way that takes up the least amount of room saying it with the sparest number of notes. Well, first of all, that's kind of what his theory is about. It's cutting it down to the numbers to mm. just what matters this, the, you know, ugly girlfriend or what <laughs> none of those things <laughs> matter. Like, it's on base. Like that's what matters. Yeah. So cutting it down to that. What's really fascinating to me is that any audience member who never took a piano lesson, who doesn't know anything about music, they can sense that. They sense when it's right. Mm -hmm. And they, they, and that's what's amazing, that it doesn't even matter what culture you grew up in, you understand through that music that that is what it's saying about Billy Bean's character. It's the magical, mysterious thing about music that is really the thing that keeps composers chasing being able to when you succeed when you find that thing that that checks all those boxes that you're trying to check it really is the most amazing feeling yeah um, it can be a tough journey to get there and and bennett miller the filmmaker is you know one of the more brilliant people i've ever met um, yeah he's an amazing filmmaker He's an amazing filmmaker. He's an amazing person. He's brilliant. He knows every frame of his movie and where it is and what needs to, where it is on the big arc, where we need to get to, where we've been. He's really has an amazing sense. Working with a collaborator like that helps you get to the best solution of music in that way, which we did on, on Moneyball, I think. And, and you did go on. His next film, Foxcatcher, it felt like there was a lot of different voices in that. You had the track Valley Forge 
yeah. what was the, that collaboration like? Well, unfortunately, what happens in film a lot of the time is that schedules shift. So that was a really tr- sad and frustrating case for me because I love that film. I, I think Fox Foxcatcher is a. I just love his filmmaking, like just as an audience member, mm. his characters are the perception in writing and is just really absolutely at the top of, of the game. But Foxcatcher, we, I remember we were working in the fall, kind of the summer and the fall. Then the film went into hiatus for about five months. And by that time, I was on another film. And so when it came back up kind of in the spring, I wasn't available. And so, yeah, there were a few other composers that Bennett pulled in, one of them being guy that I worked with for years and years, Rob Simonson, who was my assistant and now a very accomplished composer in his own right and just down the street, in fact. So Rob did some cues. And yeah, there, so there's definitely, as you say, a few voices. I think it's a a wonderful film and yeah i wish i'd been able to be more involved with it and i wish bennett would make another film for god's sake gosh i've been wondering that myself (laughs) i feel like where has this guy been if you find out please let me know i will there's so much variety in terms of the films and and of course the music as well is variety something that's important to you is that what helps keep things fresh it is. I think composers often, I think every composer would say that. I was very, very lucky in that the first director I worked with, Adam McGoyan, who I started with in theater, was he's a director's director. And every director in the world saw his movies, even if hardly anyone else did. <laughs> but they, he was highly admired in directorial circles. And because Adam's filmmaking is at, again, such a high level, the films are deep and profound and very adventurous. My music was therefore noted by people making those kinds of films. So like Aang and Bennett. And so I think I was lucky in that way that they're character driven films. And so you can end up with a comedy like Little Miss Sunshine, you know, or a, tragedy like Capote and what they have in common is that they're character driven films, the good dinosaur, even you could Mm -hmm. say that. So I was lucky not to get pigeonholed as a horror or a light romantic comedy guy from the beginning and be stuck there for my whole career. But starting where I started, I think I was able to connect and collaborate with people doing really fine work, but all all over the map as far as um, genre. One project that I think is a really interesting departure in, in many ways is Transcendence, the Wally Pfister directed film with Johnny Depp and I mean, massive cast. And I love that music because fittingly so, it feels like the percussion is almost like you're hearing the inner workings of a computer or you're hearing someone kind of tinging in and out of a inside of a computer. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I like that score a lot. And, and the film, it certainly wasn't seen by as many people as we hoped. Yeah, that score is something I worked really hard on. And it's definitely got some different elements of other things I've done. There's a lot of electronics that 
was really fun for me because I started out in the 70s as a synth player in a band. So mucking around with analog synths is a really fun activity for me. Yeah. And then, yeah, and the, and the percussion and the kind of aggressiveness of the percussion and the electronics was something that was really fun to play with in that film. When you get onto a project, especially having done it for so long, what's the process like of beginning? Do you meet with the director and talk ideas or is it more so like they let you do your work and then you both tinker with it as it goes along? Well, it, it's both those things. But for me, like I, like I said, the most important thing is the story. And that's the thing that you really need to fully and deeply and profoundly understand before you write a note. Mm -hmm. That's the starting place for everything. And so I always take some time at the beginning of our project to, before I write a note, really understand the story, understand it through the director's eyes. So a lot of conversation with the director, trying to understand, you know, just basic things of why did you make this film? What, what mm -hmm. is it that you want people to take away from it? What, um, what is the story about to you? What are the layers underneath? What, tell me about this character. Where did he come from? And all these things so that I really understand as much as I can about the inner workings of the story. Unless you know those things and take some time with those things, you're not able to really make a great score. Maybe it's also a form of procrastination. I have to be honest. It, sure. it, could, be, it could be that. It's always there. <laughs> it, it is there. But once you have the kind of general philosophical discussions to begin with, then you start to understand, well, if this is what we want to say with the story, what does it, how can the music help tell that story? What's the music's role here? Then once you answer that, that'll tell you the instruments. It'll tell you the tone of the music. It'll tell you, is it thematic? Is it sound design? Is it, you know, electronic? Is it multicultural? Is it completely Western? Is it just piano and viola or, or whatever? So mm -hmm. then you start to narrow down, okay, now we're getting specific. This is the kind of score we want. We're doing music for Capote. Talk a lot about Capote as a writer. He's very spare. He very specific choices of words, very methodical writing. I don't want to say cold, but very spare and yeah. lacking any frills or any extraneous material. That tells you something about your writing style, how it's going to be. Then we also, you know, with Capote, we played around a little bit with non-Western instruments and we just realized that it's just... It's not his world. It needs to be instruments that Truman Capote would recognize that it would be music that he would understand and that yeah. would reflect his world. So now we're down. Now we decided, yeah, it's just piano, piano and orchestra. It's as simple as that. Simple, elegant, classic. So that's the decisions that you, you kind of make just on how to choose your instruments, how to choose your palette and where you're beginning. So now we know we're writing very spare, very simple music that doesn't have an extra gesture anywhere that's extraneous. We're using the, the simple, small string group and a piano. Then you begin writing. <laughs> you, <laughs> After you, all of that, yeah. Then you begin writing. And yeah, so you start, I like to start at the beginning and go to the end because I think you 
themes develop and mature through the film that way and they bloom and blossom as you become like really intimately knowledgeable about your themes and the chord structure and everything yeah i'd like to start at the beginning and then you sketch it usually a mock-up a synthesized mock-up of if if it's capote of fake piano and fake strings you mock it up you play it back for bennett and then we discuss that this is the wrong you you know we need to hit this moment yeah that's too much this you know this is too little this needs to be more painful or whatever and you just keep working at it bit by bit till either you're finished or you run out of time yeah uh and one thing i remember you having mentioned about that movie is in terms of the process is i guess the main poster is black and white yes and so you said therefore the music needs to feel like that that's exactly right in fact i have in my working room down the hall i have two posters in that room and one of them is the that black and white one of capote oh, cool. Anatomy, bennett's inscription that says uh, be careful what you wish for <laughs> <laughs> something something dark and bennett miller like like that yeah very bennett um, but yeah it, it need that's the thing you're exactly right like the the music needed to fit that poster needed to fit that black and white it just had to have the same aesthetic as that that's the kind of analysis that goes into what we're doing here. Another project surfs up the animated film about the, the penguin surfing. Fantastic movie. So enjoyable, so fun. And another interesting departure in many ways is doing an animated movie different at all. Well, I, I definitely use the same process of analysis, like general philosophy and then specific music role and then beginning the sketching process but yeah animation is you'll end up with a different kind of score generally because animation needs a little more from the music in order to infuse life into what are drawings and not people and there's Mm -hmm. some there's a bit more suspension of disbelief when you're looking at capote walking across a flat prairie field it's very there's a lot said there already through you know the beautiful scenery through the clouds through a lot has already been said the character is fully formed he's right there in front of you you don't have to say as much in animation you definitely have to say more you've got to animate literally you know literally animate the characters bring them to life you usually need to be more emotive and more colorful, usually more active as well, but it's the same journey. Surf's Up was, a, I, I love that film. It's the first kind of bigger animated film I did and it was so much fun to do. And I had a, a one-year-old at that time. So there was definitely a shift in, in doing it from my dark art films to doing films that I was imagining my kids would be able to watch and yeah and so i've ended up doing a fairly big body of animated work it's a really enjoyable and fun world to work in it, yeah it, it's definitely different than live action films generally the directors are a lot they're much more well adjusted <laughs> 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 they're definitely different people to work with it's a lot of fun it's it feels more uh, how can i put it it 
it's definitely more fun, I, you know, because animation directors are generally animators themselves. They're people that, like me, were nerds when they were growing up in their own way. They were sitting in the back of the classroom drawing. Right. I was like playing piano. There's really that sense of connection and understanding how, what a sketch is and where it's going in the same way that when we get an animated film delivered to us, it's a bunch of storyboards. It's just pencil sketches mm -hmm. held on in still motion for 10 seconds while you hear the voices and then a new frame. And over the year process that you're often working on an animated film, those storyboards start to move and get animated and then they add color and lighting. And so it kind of comes to life as you're working with it. So the process is very similar to the way composers work that you start with a kind of bare sketch and you keep working on it and keep filling it in and so on so i think the the process of writing music for animation and animation itself are very similar there's a real understanding from animation directors about what you're doing the process and i love that world generally there's a lot of notes and so i often work with my brother yeah. on animated films but surf stuff I did I did on my own. It has a lot of songs being a surfing movie, so there was it wasn't overwhelming amount of score like some of them are. That's a really sweet and good-hearted film. Yeah, another an animated film that you did with your brother, who is an, a fantastic composer as well, is Onward. It's okay if you'd rather not, but I know you do have a bit of a pretty personal connection to that story. Yeah, it, it was a. <laughs> it was interesting. And what, what's funny is I don't think any of them knew this. You know, Dan Scanlon, the director, had written this story about he and his brother growing up and their father passed when they were young. And they were six years apart, kind of exactly like my brother and I. And I think they knew that much. And it would be like, oh, that'd be cool if two brothers could write for this story about two brothers. <laughs> We'd done The Good Dinosaur together. And so... When we sat down for the meeting, I think they thought this will be cool. I'll, I'll, they'll pitch this story to us. And they, Dan started pitching the story like this. Here's what it is, two brothers. And yeah, my, and Jeff and I, you know, we're sitting there just kind of, wow, this is really weird. And we had yeah. not heard a thing about the story until we sat down with them. And yeah, and it's a similar thing. When I was 19 and my brother was 13, our father died and this and onward is about this journey of the two brothers to rediscover their father have a moment of time with him again and on that journey they discover something about their own relationship and how important it is so yeah for us it was a kind of weird personal thing and it was almost at some moments it was too personal because when you're writing music you still have to be able to it's emotional, but it's also intellectual. And you have to, like, it's hard when it's so personal and it's so yeah. emotional. Things that Jeff and I had never really talked about being normal guys. We, <laughs> don't, we don't talk about stuff that's really deep and important and painful. Right, we of course. Been there. Stupid <laughs> shit, you know? But yeah, yeah. Um, that's basically how we communicate. And so we really never addressed a lot of things that were addressed in this film and so we kind of had to face them and go through them and i just feel like it's just so it's so weird we end up working on that film and just so perfect and yeah it's something that means a lot to both of us and i think it's a really stunning and beautiful film 
it really is a shame came out in March for one week in the theaters. Yeah. Of course, the pandemic slammed it shut. And so got lost in the shuffle a little bit, which is too bad. I think it's a wonderful film. And it's something that, yeah, Jeff and I meant a lot to us and deepened our relationship. Yes. Yeah. Working on the film. One thing uh, on that is I went into that movie not knowing anything about it. I hadn't seen the trailer. And what struck me, my older brother and I also lost our father when we were very young. That story immediately struck me. Of all of your great, fantastic scores, as even just the individual tracks, the one that's called Wish I Could Spend the Day With You, I think is probably my favorite out of any of them because it evokes, it's so minimalist. But it evokes this yearning to be with someone that you miss or to want to get to know someone who you may never have the chance to. But it says so much. And when you think about it and what you're feeling. Yeah, it's funny that cue was so difficult to write. It damn near crushed us both (laughs) kind of symbolically. Like we had to help each other out on that one because usually what happens when we work together, usually we'll write themes kind of together, but then we'll split cues up and we'll send them back and forth and, and we'll give each other uh, this part. You, you missed hitting this or you, you need to do this. And so we kind of go back and forth, help each other. Sometimes there's a lot of criticism and a lot of praise too, but a lot of criticism and praise. That cue, kind of one of us started writing, the director was not digging it, and it kept bouncing back to us, and it was just, it, the time was running out, and we were, like, exhausted, and and we, we kind of had to write that one together. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was a very emotional process, just getting that cue, getting it right, and and it really is the most that it's that cue is like both of us like we yeah. both sweat blood, you know, for that cue. Yeah, Jeff would write these bars, and then I would write these bars, and then and so it really is like an integrated cue. Yeah, I don't want to keep you uh, too long, but I I did want to ask who are some either some some composers that you are loving right now, or who maybe you've drawn inspiration from that. That's an interesting question. I have to say, for me, for me and, and, and probably for a lot of other composers and writers, is that I, I feel like my identity was pretty much fully formed by the time I was 14 mm. <laughs> or 15. And the things that I loved growing up, that by the way, another great thing about Onward was kind of the era. The, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a made up place and time, but it really rang to us like what we grew up in in the 70s the kind of tolkien-esque fantasy mm-hmm. progressive rock bands with the, yeah. <laughs> the high you know the, the very all that stuff high concept art and and lyrics and synthesizers and guitar solos and all that stuff and i grew up like just obsessed with progressive rock all the bands, uh, Genesis and Yes and King Crimson and, you know, and then on the other side, it was, you know, Ravel and Beethoven and Debussy. And so you mush all that together and then yeah. you add in the non-Western stuff that I also heard in my teens. And that's basically, I haven't really grown since then. <laughs> <laughs> right now. You know what you know. Yeah. And so I'm not avoiding your question, but 
No. Yeah, there, there's scores I admire and lo and love when, when I hear them. But honestly, as I told you, I'm not. I I never. I didn't actually like film music when I was growing up. It was the right. thing. I, wasn't a style that appealed to me. That kind of big bombastic orchestral thing. And look, John Williams. Now that I'm a composer and have done a lot of orchestral things, and now I understand how ridiculously brilliant he is yeah but i'm not one of those composers who became a film composer because i heard star wars sure i did go to star wars and i didn't really the music didn't really hit me so i wasn't really influenced by film music at all there's nothing really that i can point to as yeah this is what influenced me other than non-film music music sure oh no yeah that's that's makes total sense well then with that being said who are some of your favorite bands who are artists who are you listening to these days <laughs> well and and that's the other thing which is a bit embarrassing but i don't i listen to as little other music as possible okay interesting just want to stay kind of in my own world i don't want to copy uh, yeah, I kind of don't want to be influenced by other people and what they're doing. So yeah, of course, I hear things. It's not I think the things that influence me might be more surprising. Like I love EDM is is like a oh, yeah. style that actually really makes sense to me. Right. Um, but I just as an amateur listener, I'm not really deep into it. But yeah, it's yeah, so things like that. In, but it, it's not even the technique or the instruments or or the specific. It's more the state of mind of it. It's the, mm. the spirituality of what it does to you. That's the thing that I would chase, but not at a one thirty BPM. From <laughs> like it's, I would do it in a different way. But that, yeah. But that, so I, I guess I'm influenced by things I hear. But yeah, it's not really specific. Well, that. see, that makes me feel so much better. Because I almost never listen to other podcasts. And so <laughs> I, I'm stay pure, stay pure. People like, you know, they'll ask me, oh, so what if I mean, I, I, I listen to music constantly, but people will ask me, oh, so what, what podcast do you listen to? I'm like, not to say I, I don't ever, but I'm like, I actually don't listen to many because I don't want to, as you're just saying, I don't want to get, I don't want to copy what someone else is doing, even subconsciously. I guess for better or worse, that's, I'm sticking to it. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I, there is no right answer. And I certainly wouldn't be judgmental of anyone who had a different way of doing it. But for me, this, this works for me, it keeps my head uncluttered. Yeah, and writing is really difficult without having other people's tunes rattling around in your head. So yeah. I try and keep it clean, keep my head clear. And I listen to sports radio. That's pretty much hey, that's, that's cool with me. Just last personal note, I want to mention is your the movie The Snow Walker with Barry Pepper, Canadian survival film. When I was very young, my mother and I would go rent that from the video store when video stores were still around, literally every single week. It's such a special movie and it still is. And as I've said before, you, your work across the board has done a lot for me and impacted me a lot. And so it's... Wow, that, that means a lot to me to hear that. And I'll tell Charlie that next time I, I talk to him, the, Please the do. director, uh, Charles Martin Smith, and he is a wonderful man and uh he'll really be happy to hear that uh that you guys uh use some blockbuster <laughs> rent as yeah well. r.i.p all right michael well i am just so grateful for you to have taken the time and really really enjoyed it you're welcome back anytime 
please Thank come back. And anything else you want to mention? It, it's okay if not, but I just don't want to leave anything hanging. No, it was really okay. great. And I'm really happy. The discussion was particularly great because it, there was a personal connection like you had that really helps and I, okay. yeah so I appreciate I appreciate that and really happy you reached out um, I'm glad to hear it okay well everybody we, we really hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time <laughs>